You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. Let Asha, your Legal Shield associate, connect you to a legal insurance plan that's right for you. Quality attorneys at established law firms for about $20 a month. Less than a dollar a day for an attorney? Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old, rehashed, personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to, think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach and host of this show called The Overwhelmed Brain. This is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about on this show should not be mistaken for actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult your physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. What you'll find here is an increase in your emotional intelligence, a strengthening of your self-worth and self-esteem, the motivation to be your authentic self, and the forward momentum to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. I want to talk about a fear of a fantasy future. You know what I mean? (laughs) The future that you make up, the anxiety that kicks in when you think something is going to happen, or maybe you know something is going to happen and you're not sure how to handle it. So you get anxious or you might know how to handle it and you still get anxious. Uh, It's the idea of projecting something out into the future and worrying about it. It's sort of like looking at the ocean going, I don't want to go in the ocean because I might get eaten by a shark. I think I actually have this fear. (laughs) I think I look at the ocean and go, why would I bother going in there? It's too risky. Even though I've been in the ocean hundreds, maybe thousands of times, I can still look at it and project into the ocean, project into my future that I will get bit by a shark or something like that. Or how about when I was a kid, and you've probably experienced this, where I was at a dance one day, and I don't know, I think my dad was there. Oh, it was a roller skating rink. I was at a roller skating rink, and they were holding a dance, and my dad was there, and um, I saw girls on the other wall uh, who didn't have anyone, anyone to skate with. And my dad's like, why don't you just go over and ask one of them? And I'm like, no, I don't want to. What if she says no? So... How many opportunities have you chosen not to take to do something because of your fear of what might happen? And that's what happened to me in the roller skating rink is that I decided not to ask just in case. That just in case can get us every time. If I do this, then something might happen. So I better not just in case. If I ask this person out, they might say no. So I'm better off not doing anything and never finding out if he or she would have said yes. So it's better that I stay where I am 
And I tell you what, if you're not completely happy where you are, then staying where you are isn't always the best course of action. That doesn't mean every time you take a chance that you'll get what you want. It just means that you have an opportunity to get what you want. But let's um, rewind a little bit and let me read you a quick letter from someone I'll call Maggie that is about this very subject. Maggie says, I'm struggling with the fact that I am turning 30 this year. I got a promotion at work and I ended a toxic on and off again relationship and I even started working out. But it's hitting me that I'm single and I have no prospect of marriage or kids and I'm so down on myself. I just wonder if you have any episodes or could make one about turning a new leaf, especially going into the next decade and having a sense of anxiety due to the events that haven't come to fruition. As always, thank you for what you do. I'm an avid listener of your podcast and you have helped me so much in my journey. So thank you, Maggie. That is a great question and it's something that I've actually been pondering myself. If For those of you listening who are over 30 and going, 30? <laughs> Wait till you hit 60. Wait till you hit 80. You know, there are older listeners out there that look back and go, oh, wow, 30. I wish I was 30 again. But I won't throw that in your face, even though I just kind of did. <laughs> but I don't mean to put you down there because I think when we hit that decade mark, it is a reminder of what we haven't done yet and what we've yet to do. And it just allows us to contemplate what's going to happen in the future and assess what we've accomplished so far. I tell you what, when I hit 30, I accomplished pretty much nothing. <laughs> well, is that true? Well, I think I did own a condo. I think that was when I owned the condo in Florida. And that was an accomplishment. It wasn't something that I honestly cared about. I was like, okay, either pay rent or pay a mortgage. And I had a girlfriend at that time and we both uh, invested into this condo and it was great. That's what we did. But we both had normal jobs and we both had no savings and we were both just not really considering that we needed to save for the future and, um, you know, have our emergency fund like Dave Ramsey, that financial radio show guy talks about, have our emergency fund, have our six months of savings and start to invest in other things. By 30, I wasn't doing any of that. I didn't have any savings. By 40, I had some savings, but I still wasn't where I wanted to be. And um, what I noticed is that over the decades, when I hit 20, when I hit 30, when I hit 40, now I'm moving on to 50. Over the decades that I can associate the personal growth and healing and learning that I've gone through, I can associate all of that to my progress in other areas of life. So when there's something inside you that still needs healing, it's almost as if life stops you from succeeding in other areas until you address that. This is a total shot in the dark here. <laughs> and I'm really reaching. So don't take me at face value. But let's just pretend that the reason we're not where we want to be in life is because we still have something unresolved in us. And when I imagine that, I remember that my healing started after my first real breakdown in, at 35 years old. When I broke down and cried that I hated my stepfather so much, it all came out, and then I came to a new place in myself. And I came to a new level 
of being in life. I was able to finally start expressing myself and also start making decisions that weren't so fear-based. They were more in integrity-based, in alignment with my values-based, because I did healing within. I was with my wife, and she wanted somebody to express themselves. She wanted me to express my emotions and express what was on my mind. She wanted that in a partner, in a husband. And so after that breakdown, that's who I started becoming more and more of. And because of that, I started making decisions that were right for me instead of fearing what would happen if I made these decisions. If you've been listening a while, you've heard my story when we were broke, when we were homeless, when we were going to the soup kitchen, and then I finally got a job making 13 bucks an hour or something like that, and it was definitely enough to keep us going and start the process of you know living life outside of that system again. And three or four weeks into it, I felt stifled. I felt like I was imprisoned in this job. I felt like, oh, I can't stay here. This job is sucking the life out of me. And the dilemma of keeping the job for the money or leaving the job for my integrity was what came up. And before my breakdown, before any healing took place around some of the hatred I've been holding on to for a long time, when that wasn't there, my decisions weren't based on fear and I made the decision to quit regardless of the money. Now there's more to that story and I got my wife's support and uh, you know, I went on to find a better job that paid more and things like that. So it all worked out. But it wouldn't have worked out had I stayed, at least internally. And it makes me wonder if I did stay solely because we needed the money, then would that have put me in a place of repressing negativity, holding down those bad emotions so that when I finally got to a the next level and my healing and growth that I would have to now deal with this new thing that I allowed into my system, you know, being in a job I hated, being out of my own integrity, being out of alignment with what I value most, would I have had to deal with that now? And how many steps back would I have had to have taken to get out of that again, if that makes sense? In other words, because I left, I was able to progress farther and faster instead of staying and causing more harm emotionally, internally. So who knows? You know, it could have worked out either way, but I knew that I felt that I was toxifying my system. I felt like I was in a position that uh, was harming me more than helping me. And yes, when I quit, it was liberating. I felt so good. It felt great going to the soup kitchen again, knowing I didn't have to return to that job. So I look back at um, decisions like that that I made in life that absolutely impacted me in a huge way. Like the time I lived in California after I moved away from Florida to be with the woman I eventually married, uh, my condo was being rented out and the renter stopped paying and suddenly I had no income from that property. And then the mortgage crisis hit like 2008, 2009. And suddenly I don't have any money and I can't figure out how to keep my condo. And now I have all these bills and it built up and now I'm facing bankruptcy. And I had the most anxiety I've ever had regarding, oh crap, now what? 
But what was happening inside of me is that I needed to heal something within me emotionally. That healing that needed to take place was letting go of feeling less worthy for not being able to uh, keep up and pay my bills. And there was something inside of me that was really holding me back, really restricting me because I didn't want to declare bankruptcy. Because declaring bankruptcy meant that I was a bad person. I had an old belief there. If I declared bankruptcy, I'm a bad person. And some people, maybe even listening to this show right now, might even think that. And sometimes people will get into a position where they are 10,000, 20,000, 100,000. Who knows how much debt they've racked up. And they will stay in this position for many, many years, feeling the anxiety, feeling the stress, causing harm to their body and uh, adding more negativity into their system, repressing it, holding it in, not, not able to release it, where I saw that happening inside of me. And the day my bankruptcy was finalized, again, liberation. I felt free. I felt like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I'm not promoting bankruptcy. <laughs> I say try as hard as you can, uh, doing anything you can, but I look at the bigger picture. I mean, I I tried to work out my debt. I tried to pay people what I could, and and a lot of them wouldn't accept any payments. So it forced me into a position of, well, I can't pay anyone because they won't accept anything, so I'm out. I had to call it out. And that day it was finalized and I felt that liberation, I realized, wait, This is healthy for me, my mind and body. And this old belief that I held on to, that I'm a bad person, that I'm unworthy if I file bankruptcy, really prevented me from becoming healthier. Now, this kind of conversation infringes on some people's values because I know there are people out there. I know people in my own family that say filing bankruptcy is bad. And if you do it, you're a bad person. And I don't suggest you do it. I mean, I suggest you try to pay back those that you've borrowed from. I think that's a great idea. But I like to determine the cost of your body and soul, your health, compared to what you owe others uh, financially. In other words, if you are degrading and being stressed and feeling anxiety and it is bad every single day and you've tried every other option then you know, maybe that's an option for you. Maybe bankruptcy is an option. That's a, a touchy subject for some people, and I'm not going to get into it, but it turned out that the healthiest option for me was to take that route and deal with the consequences. Now, it turned out that that was the right path for me because the day after that was lifted, I could make decisions again. I felt stuck before. No options, no options. I tried everything. I couldn't even get an extra job. And so after the bankruptcy, I felt liberated, like I could finally make decisions. Now I can become a contributing member of society again. But I, and I started building up from there. But regardless of my story, let's go back to Maggie. I just wanted to tell you those two stories to kind of uh, lay out a foundation of what I'm going to talk about, which is when we don't get what we want. We want something to turn out the way we want it to, but it doesn't come. And if we were to look at this as big picture, spiritual, the universe, God, that this path before us can play out the way we want, 
assuming we heal from something within first. And it's an interesting perspective if you look at it that way. Like, why am I not getting what I want? There must be something I need to heal from inside. So I look at Maggie's story and she just hit 30 and she hasn't gotten what she's been wanting for who knows how long. So Maggie, what do you have inside of you that might need healing? Now this could go a number of different directions. Maybe you feel good. Maybe you're ready for the the next relationship. But I have a feeling that if you're very concerned about the next decade because the last decade didn't bring you what you wanted, that concern might be something you need to heal from. I'm not saying you shouldn't have concerns. I'm not saying that you shouldn't plan for the future that you want. I'm saying that when it becomes uh, a problem and a toxic thought in your mind and you haven't come to a place that you feel like, well, I haven't gotten it yet, maybe next year or maybe never. If you haven't gotten to that place, which may be very hard to do, if you haven't gotten to a place inside of you that accepts that you may never get what you want, then you will continue to suffer. At least if this thought process continues. In the sense of, I have no prospects of marriage. I have no prospects of even dating. I have no prospects of having kids, that's for sure. And that concerns me. That brings me anxiety. I fear what this next decade will bring. Whatever fear you bring into future thoughts, that as you know, creates anxiety, but it also may be what is preventing you from getting what you want. Now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) What fear are you bringing into your thoughts? What do you want that you fear not getting? And what needs to heal regarding that? I like to think of um, there's basics in life and then there's bonuses in life. The basics are your food, water, shelter, love and support from your family, although that basic doesn't always get fulfilled, but hopefully you received enough support where you lived through your childhood, you made it through, but that's the basics. Then you have the bonuses like money and companionship, romantic, um, sex and peace within, comfort, all these bonuses that we hope to have in our lives. I like to think of those two things that if we can meet the basics, then that's where happiness should start. And then when we get the bonuses, that's on top of what we're already happy about within. If we can't get to a place where we're happy with the basics, then it gets harder and harder to fulfill that happiness beyond the basics. If you can't be happy having food, having water, having shelter, then you're going to bring fear and lack into other areas of your life so that you're carrying around anxiety, you're carrying around um, a feeling of lack, a feeling of deficit, and you won't know how to fulfill that. And uh, it gets worse if you get a lot of money. This is why um, a lot of lottery winners tend to go broke after a while because the money helps you believe that you'll buy stuff for gratification, but typically it's short-term. So you end up um, filling some of the deficits inside you with short-term gratifying things, 
And it turns out that now that you get everything you want, you're still unhappy because you weren't happy at that basic level. So if you can get to a happiness at the basic level, then you can bring this happiness into the bonuses that you get in life. And um, that's when you can have a more satisfying existence. So this is where I go when it comes to what healing do you need in you? If you look at your life and, and you say, wow, I have everything taken care of. I have food, water, and shelter. Yeah, I might have to go to a job that maybe I like, maybe I don't, but everything is taken care of. Does that make me happy? Well, no, I want to enjoy life. I want recreation. I want this. I want this. There's a lot of wants, a lot of bonuses in there. But if you can be at least satisfied or grateful with the basics, and you can bring this satisfaction, this appreciation into the other areas of life where I might consider them bonuses, then you won't have so much healing to do. The thing is, a lot of us do need healing. I mean, that's why we listen to shows like this. That's why we look stuff up on the internet to find out how to heal, find out how to get beyond our inner pain, our turmoil, the emotional baggage that we're carrying around. So that's how you address what's going on inside of you. My point with all of this is that there's a level of acceptance that if you allow yourself to reach it and be okay being 30, being not married, not having children, if you're okay with that, what you do is free yourself to a new way of being and a new perception, a new way of life that opens you up to what the universe has planned for you. Again, it's a little spiritual, but if we think about it this way, if there's some universal plan for us and we're supposed to be happier and more fulfilled in a certain way, but we choose not to address what needs healing in us, is that preventing us from getting to that point? In my belief system, I believe that when you still have something to heal from, it will prevent you in other areas of life. For the longest time, I had to heal from the dysfunction of my childhood. One of those dysfunctions was pretending to love someone I hated. I hated someone in my family, but I held on to the idea that it was bad to hate. And it turns out that it's okay to hate. <laughs> it's okay to express the hate. Because as long as you uh, bring it up and let it out, the hate usually diminishes. You, you can only hate for so long until you're, you get worn out. You get tired of hating and go, oh, I've hated, now I'm done hating. Now I'm beyond that. I mean, this is, again, my opinion, uh, but I truly believe this is what happens, is that when we allow some of the bad thoughts and feelings out, finally, and so they can be released, we no longer carry around those bad thoughts and feelings. I carried around hate for many, many, 35 years, I carried around hate. And I didn't even know I had it in me. I just knew something was wrong inside. But I also didn't know how to address the things that were wrong inside. When I was 35, I didn't have some of the tools and techniques and some of the teachings that I speak of today. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know that, oh, if I feel bad, I should drill down into that bad feeling and figure out what is really causing that bad feeling. 
if I'm anxious, I should bring it out to the worst case scenario and figure out what would make me the most anxious. What would be even worse than that? If I'm angry, I, I never thought to express that anger and tell the person I was with that they are crossing the line or disrespecting me. I never did any of this stuff, so I held it all in. And because I held it in, I wasn't really getting too far in life. I would get burnt out at my work. I would get burnt out on my jobs. I would lose relationships. They would all leave me. <laughs> that was the story of my life is when I get into a relationship, everything seemed to be okay, but that underlying um, negativity inside of me came out in small ways. I, I was very passive aggressive. I was a people pleaser. I never expressed myself. All this stuff came out in very subtle ways and sometimes very overt ways. Uh, but the person I was with never got a feel for the real me because I'm not going to show anger. Why would I show anger? That might cause them to leave me. And that's what actually caused them to leave me by not showing the anger <laughs> and other things. But you get the idea is that I, I held on to all this stuff and it prevented me from having long-lasting relationships, having a long-lasting career, creating a successful path in life, whether it uh, be health-wise or financial-wise or any of these other things, because I had still had healing to do. So why I'm telling you all this, Maggie, is that there may be a point that you have to reach inside of you that, and bear with me, that comes to terms with never being married, never having children, and becoming an old lady, and no one loves you. I won't leave you there. <laughs> I want you to take this this thought out to the extreme. What happens if I'm never married? What happens if I never have children? What if I never get the job I want? What if I never meet the person of my dreams so I can spend the rest of my life with them? What if all that's true? What if it gets worse than that? What if you end up with an illness? And what if you, you know, I could go on and on and on, really make your day miserable. But I don't want to do that. I want to help you reach a point where if you can come to an acceptance that that's true, that the path to healing may open up for you. I truly believe that um, the things that we hold on to create resistance inside of us. I don't want to feel this way. So I'm just going to watch a funny TV show. I don't want to feel this way. So I'm just going to put on a smile and pretend to be happy. I don't want to feel this way. So how do I cover it? I'm going to buy something that makes me happy in the short term. And we hold on to these feelings and we never heal what we're holding on to. And because we never heal, it seems like we never have the opportunity to succeed in the areas of life that we want to succeed in. Like um, my sister. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this, but I think it's okay. <laughs> she couldn't get pregnant for, I don't know, a number of years. They were trying, I think it's the intravenous fertilization. They were trying all kinds of things. And she finally just gave up. She's like, I've tried and tried and tried. There's nothing I can do. And you've probably heard a story like this. As soon as they gave up, they got pregnant. It was like that. And I look at something like that and go, wow, you tried and tried and tried and didn't want to not get pregnant. So there was a level of resistance in there. Like, I want to have this baby. I want it so bad. So the resistance is not wanting to have that baby. The resistance is the unacceptance, if that's a word, of not having a kid. I can't accept that I won't have a kid. So I'm going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. I can't accept that I won't have a kid. As soon as they accepted that 
I guess this isn't for us. I guess we're not going to have kids. They were pregnant. It just happened. I believe the body responds when the resistance is gone. The resistance leaves when there's an acceptance of what is. And when you accept what is, the path to something different, the path to success, shows itself. This is kind of out there, it's kind of spiritual, but it can really help when you're just down on everything. So I like to think spiritually when it comes to thought processes that simply won't go away. Like, I can't get past this. I can't get past this. And I finally go, well, this must be meant to be. This must be the way it is. This must be what uh, C-3PO said, right? It must be our lot in life. I think he said that in Star Wars. (laughs) This must be our lot in life. So this might be your lot in life. I don't say that to disappoint you. I say that so that you can reach a level of acceptance that eliminates the resistance. And when you eliminate the resistance, you open the door to what the universe has planned for you, which may very well be exactly what you want. That's the hard part, and it's so hard to explain it. (laughs) Because you can hear me and go, wow, so what he's saying is that you should just be okay not having kids, and that's the way the rest of your life is going to be. Or you're never going to get married, or you're going to die old and alone. No, what I'm saying is that when you resist those things, it has the tendency to come true. But when you accept those things, what you want but you aren't getting, the opposite can happen, where what you're really wanting and never getting suddenly appears. I've tried this, believe me. I've tried this over and over again with all kinds of things in my life, and it works. It really does. As soon as I come to an acceptance of what I can't have or I'm trying to get, the thing I'm trying to get just materializes. And when it doesn't materialize, I can look inward and go, wait, what is it inside me that still needs healing? And is that associated in any way with what I'm wanting but not getting? Sometimes it's directly associated, and sometimes it feels like, these aren't connected at all. What's that mean? So I explore that. So you might have to explore some things in you, Maggie. I know this isn't the down-to-earth practical advice that I normally give, (laughs) but I have a lot of episodes that talk about, you know, making decisions, being in alignment with your values, and just getting forward momentum because you're making decisions in alignment with what's best for you, with what's in your highest intention, in your highest interest. When you're always moving in that direction, then doors open that weren't there before. When you're concerned and bringing fear into the future and you're worried that you're not going to get what you want in life, then what manifests can be what you fear. And then you'll have these thoughts of, I knew this would happen. This always happens. Every time I want something, uh, this happens. I knew it. I knew it. And instead, if you make decisions that are in alignment with your values and you're honoring your personal boundaries and you're expressing yourself, you're expressing expressing what's really on your mind, you have forward momentum. You're taking action. The universe loves action takers. The universe rewards action takers. The universe doesn't reward people that don't make any changes, that resist what is. The universe doesn't reward those who stay in toxic situations and hope things change. The universe rewards those who make the change. 
who, dare I say, be the change. So I don't know if this helps you, Maggie, but I hope it does. Again, it's a little bit more spiritual than I normally go into, but uh, sometimes that's what you do. Sometimes that is the answer. Thanks so much. I wish you the best. We'll be right back with Ask Paul. Let me ask you a question. Are you in a mess? <laughs> I remember I rented a car once, and um, when I got it, I noticed some damage around the bumper area and I think another place. And I did what they told me, marked it on the form, and the person who was there inspecting it with me, uh, he signed the form I marked up. And so I think I was with um, my ex-girlfriend at the time, and we were going on a trip. So... I took the car out and um, brought it back a week later to the same agency. I showed them where the damage was from before, and uh, they signed off on that and everything was okay. And then a few weeks later, I get something in the mail that says, you owe money for that damage. And I was like, what the heck is this? And I read through the letter and it, and it said, that I caused damage to the car. And they were talking about the exact damage they signed off on. I mean, they signed the paper that said, uh, I did not do the damage. It was already there when I rented it. But it didn't matter because someone else saw the damage and just blamed me. They didn't care or they didn't look and it didn't matter to them. So they just sent me a bill hoping that I would pay it and not complain. Well, I was furious <laughs> Fortunately, I kept a copy, and uh, but I had to go through the rigmarole to get this resolved. I had to call their um, agency, and they didn't care, and they said, you still owe the money, you can't prove it, and then I wrote them a letter. I did all kinds of things. Then I realized I wish I had an attorney to send a letter to tell them that what they're doing is illegal. It's wrong. But I didn't, and I had to go through the whole thing myself, and I finally found the paperwork, and I send them, sent them a registered letter, and it's a whole big story, and it caused me so much stress, so much anxiety. They were asking for like, I don't know, a thousand bucks, and uh, it, was, it was something I didn't owe, and they signed off on it twice, saying that it was their issue, and, and that they wouldn't blame me for the damage that was already there. If I had known Asha would get out of the mess then, I wouldn't have had to have dealt with that at all. She represents Legal Shield, and they are a company that allows you access to a law firm where you can get an attorney in any number of specialized areas related to the mess that you're in. I was in a dispute with a car rental agency, and I could have avoided this whole thing if I just had my attorney send them a copy of what they signed and a, I don't know what they call it, a stop bothering me letter. <laughs> and um, that would have been it. But, you know, I had to spend a few weeks going through this with the headaches that are involved uh, doing all that stuff. And, um, you know, it, coming from one of their uh, renters, it's not as powerful as opposed to when it comes from an attorney with attorney's letterhead and uh, that's what this service that uh, Asha represents does. 
I mean, that's not the only thing it does, but that's one of the things uh, of many that uh, I could have used them for for many years. Now I'm on the service and I use them for a lot of stuff, uh, but that would have been highly beneficial to get that done and over with as if I had what she calls legal insurance. Just to have someone at your disposal that's in your corner that will help you not be bullied, that will fight for you, will represent you and help you keep your rights. So if you're interested in uh, this kind of service, it's really inexpensive. It's like I, 20 bucks a month and I'm on the family plan now, which is 24, which covers me and my girlfriend. And you can get it for small businesses. There's, um, I think, other options in there too. Like they have a uh, protecting your identity and things like that. Check them out. Go to getoutofthemess.com or call Asha and see if this service is right for you. Her number is 678-355-8777. Her name's Asha. She is super sweet. <laughs> I know her well. She will help you determine if this is the right service for you. 678-355-8777 or getoutofthemess.com. All right, welcome back. This is Ask Paul. This is where I read a listener email on the air and help them through a challenge or two. This email is from someone I'm going to call Rick. And Rick writes, Hello, I found your website searching for a means to cope with overreactions from a spouse and have been relieved to read your assuring logical reasoning on highly emotional topics. Thank you, Rick. I wanted to ask what episodes of your podcast could specifically address both helping my spouse who has a history of tragedy, and myself in my efforts to walk the line between consoling and caring for her whilst dealing with her emotional outbursts. Perhaps any stories uh, from your own marriage. I felt a lot of connection to your feelings expressed when you write about it. I appreciate what you're doing for people. All right, Rick, that is a fantastic question, fantastic topic. Because there are people in the world that we connect with, that we're friends with, that we're intimate with, in our family, that have been through a lot of trauma, tragedy, abuse, I mean, you name it. And at the time that they went through it, triggers were created, what I call emotional triggers. Those emotional triggers are things that haven't been healed from, from their past. And what they're doing is bringing those triggers into relationships so that when uh, something happens that either reminds them of that trigger, either consciously or unconsciously, or creates a space for them where they don't feel safe, then they will uh, what appears to be overreact to an event that may not justify that reaction. So people bring in their past into their present, and suddenly they're responding to the world from that past and not the present. I mean, this, this happens to all of us. Anytime you are emotionally triggered, it has an origin. It has a starting point. I can look at my past and, and like you mentioned, my marriage. Any stories from my marriage? Yes, I have probably 300,000 stories <laughs> from my marriage. Uh, a lot of them are similar because a lot of them had to do with my highly judgmental ways and the ways I emotionally manipulated my wife and things like that. Uh, but, you know, one of them that comes to mind is the idea that um, 
because I was highly judgmental, uh, that didn't necessarily, well, I know it didn't, originate when I got married. My judgmental ways did not originate when I got married. So when I saw anything to do with her eating emotionally and uh, what she calls her addiction, that would remind me subconsciously about my stepfather's uh, drinking addiction. So when I was younger, I developed a high sensitivity to it and didn't want anyone around me to show signs of addiction. So when I got married and my wife told me that she had an emotional eating addiction, that uh, immediately triggered me. But if I didn't have my past to refer to, like again, subconsciously or consciously, then what would my reaction have been then? That's a good question. I've not really thought about that. Like, let's just see. What would my reaction have been if I had no problem with addictions? Well, I probably wouldn't be sensitive to it. I mean, I would be caring and I would ask questions and learn more, learn as much as I could. Uh, But because I, quote, knew all about addiction and knew all about what it's like to live with an addict, I stayed in a triggered state. So being in this triggered state, I was always overly sensitive. And because I was also judgmental, because everyone should conform to my standards, he says sarcastically, (laughs) then I would put my standards on her and expect her to uh, behave better. You know, I expected her to do behavior that I agreed with that was acceptable to me that was, quote, good for our relationship. And so I placed all these standards and I allowed my judgments to come out and judge her. I made her feel bad when she would eat junk food or, or what I considered junk food and so on and so, so forth. I definitely made her life miserable and uh, she already felt bad in herself for being uh, what she calls addicted to food. And so I exacerbated that and made her feel bad on top of that causing her love to disintegrate for me. So I'm sharing this because you asked me to share a story from my my past, my marriage. But I'm also sharing this because I want you to know where the triggers start, where the sensitivities start. The sensitivities start when they started. For example, if uh, one of your wife's sensitivities is that every time you raise your voice, she gets emotionally triggered in some way, then you might be able to determine that in her past, when she was yelled at, she was yelled down to, uh, she was a child, she didn't know how to defend herself or talk, or she wasn't allowed to talk back, or all these things could have happened that created that sensitivity, and she hasn't yet healed from those yet. She hasn't addressed them, processed them, found um, some self-forgiveness. Now, there's something inside her that may be going on as well. I always say, yeah, 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 you can forgive other people, but it's important to forgive yourself, even if you're not to blame. But what happens is children often blame themselves. I blame myself for being bad. I blame myself for being abused. It must be my fault. That often happens, is that children will blame blame themselves. So I always like to go to the path of self-forgiveness. And I've talked about this in the other episodes, but what I want to talk about uh, with you Uh, especially, is your uh, specific question regarding how can you balance you being the consoler 
the the therapist, the coach in your own relationship. And um, I get this completely. When I was married, uh, there was a point that our marriage reached that I could no longer coach us because I had my own triggers. As long as you have your own triggers in the relationship, as long as you are emotionally affected, not in a good way, then you will not be an effective coach, counselor, consoler, uh, so on and so on for your relationship. You can be there as a shoulder for her to cry on. You can be there as that non-judgmental ear to listen. You can be there as that unconditionally loving partner in her life and support whatever she needs to go through. If she's venting, you let it out. You can squelch your own triggers, meaning you might get triggered by some of the outbursts or sensitivities that she's going through. But you may have to squelch those and allow her to say things even about you that you disagree with and know are untrue just so she can let it out. Because if that emotional energy is in there and she needs to let it out and it comes out in the form of words that aren't true about you, it doesn't matter. What matters is she lets it out. And then when she's finally let that out and she is willing to hear you, willing to let you talk, then you can say, well, what you said isn't true and this is where I am with it. And now you get a chance to express as long as she's willing and open to hear it. But regarding finding the balance, I was just talking to a coaching client about this the other day and I said, you know, some people who have been through a lot of abuse in their past need the absolute safest environment to build trust and feel safe. And that might require you to not address your own triggers and be there for her and almost act as if you are the hand of God ready to comfort her in her need. Now, a lot of people can't do that. And one of my clients said, well, how am I supposed to do that when, my, when I'm in my own stuff? And I use the uh, term hand of God only to emphasize that they need the safest, warmest, most comfortable, trusting feeling possible. Now, there's all kinds of things we can call that, but I'm, I like to use the analogy, the hand of God, because nothing is more powerful than that moment. If you don't like the word God, that's up to you. <laughs> I just like to use that because that is a great analogy for, for what they're looking for. If someone is in that triggered state, they have a need to fulfill. They need something in that moment. They need safety. They need security. They need to know it's going to be all right. And uh, if you're the person that's triggering them and the consoler, <laughs> the coach, the therapist to them, it's going to be very difficult. In fact, it might even taint the healthy waters with some toxic stuff because now the person that they are supposed to love and trust is also the one triggering them and helping them through their problems. And I would almost say that borders on what abuse does when they're younger. Because what abuse does is typically you'll have a caretaker or someone that might be older 
that is trusted by the child, uh, but then also abuses the child. So the child has this mixture of, I'm supposed to trust you and love you, but you hurt me. And pretty soon, love equals hurt. Love equals pain. And then they take that with them from childhood. And then they meet people that kind of had that same personality structure that I love you and I hurt you. It's not intentional. I mean, a lot of the times it's not intentional that uh, people like me, I would, I would definitely be that kind of person when I was in my marriage. I love you and I'm hurting you. I love you and I am abusing you, emotionally abusing. And that would toxify my marriage and my relationship. So let me get to your question though. Your question is, you know, how do you find the balance? Or at least that's my interpretation. You said she has a history of tragedy and you need to find out um, what episodes I have that address walking the line between consoling and caring for someone while they're going through this uh, triggered state. So I think I do have a couple episodes on unconditional listening I don't recall what they are, but I would definitely look on my website and just type in uh, a search term of trauma or abuse at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Just type in one of those search terms. And I think one of them that comes up is the episode I had called Starting the Healing Process from uh, Child Sexual Abuse. I don't know if what your wife experienced was sexual abuse, but um, certainly the effects of any type of abuse are, are prevalent in the symptoms of uh, sexual abuse. It, I mean, there's there's different symptoms, and sexual abuse is a lot more violating, uh, but you're going to find very similar symptoms in, in what they carry in from childhood. So that might be uh, educational. Like, I would start educating yourself on just what someone who's been through a lot of a trauma or abuse goes through and carries with them uh, until they start the healing process. Because what you're facing, and I can relate to this, is that you need to be someone extra special. <laughs> and I, I hate to lay this on you, but when you are with someone who's been through any type of abuse or trauma, something terrible in their childhood, the person that they're with has to be almost, um, I don't know, saintly. <laughs> and I don't mean to say that you have to be this way, but you move in that direction. You move in the direction of, hey, no matter what happens, I will be the rock you need. I will be the solid, unconditional, loving, caring, trusting, safe person you need me to be. Which is why I like to say, if you can be the hand of God at that moment, then what happens is they will start to trust that she can be vulnerable with you. And if she gets that reinforced over and over and over again, and it could take years, but if it continues to reinforce inside of her that you are safe no matter what, those sensitivities won't be so prevalent in your relationship, or at least she won't get so triggered by you. The challenge is most of us can't do it, especially because we ourselves are getting triggered and we ourselves have our, have our own boundaries and we feel that our boundaries are getting violated when they may yell at us or say things about us. No matter how enlightened you are, if you are in an intimate relationship, 
and you are with someone that you can share yourself with, you become more and more vulnerable, you become more and more open, and uh, you also become more and more sensitive to the things they say. It just works that way. So unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately and unfortunately, fortunately, you have someone you can feel safe with and vulnerable with and share your stuff with. And you also have someone that will absolutely find every single button you have and press it <laughs> inadvertently sometimes. And sometimes they will do it on purpose. In your case, uh, what I call you, Rick, in your case, Rick, the place you need to go to is an over the top safe person for her. You may or may not be able to do this. Your relationship may rely on you being able to be the ultimate pillar of safety and trust and care for her. And you may already be doing that and, and you're still dealing with her sensitivities. Now, she might need help. She might need to talk to someone. I don't know if she listens to this show, but I address a lot of the behaviors that we bring in from childhood on this show and how to get through them, or at least how to start addressing them and healing from them. This show and every episode of this show is helping someone to become empowered because when you're being triggered by old trauma, then you don't feel like you're empowered. You feel powerless. You feel like something else has a control of you. Your past has control of you. So you don't feel empowered. You get to a place of empowerment when this healing takes place and it no longer controls your behavior. So let's talk about um, where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line be between being a coach slash therapist slash mentor slash advice guy or gal in your relationship at the same time being in the relationship as yourself? You know, sometimes you can just turn it on. Hey, I'm there for you. What do you need? Well, I'm pissed off at you. That's all right. Great. Tell me more. Well, I am so angry when you did this and you did this. All right. I hear you. Tell me more. What else you got in there? I mean, that is the unconditional loving, caring coach slash consoler that you can be in the relationship. But if you're part of the formula, you're in that mix, uh, you may not be the best source of help for her. She may need something more. She probably does need something more. And if she doesn't want to talk to someone, talk to a best friend, talk to a parent, talk to a therapist, talk to a coach, then have her start listening to shows like this. Have her start getting information that she can help herself and start dealing with this trauma. Because if she's holding on to the trauma, the sensitivities will always be there. Those emotional triggers will always be on the surface just waiting to uh, go off. And that's hard for you. You know, I, I've, I dealt with this for a little over a year and a half when I met my current girlfriend uh, who went through sexual abuse as a child. And it surprised me. I mean, some of the things that came out of her mouth, I was like, what? Uh, where is this coming from? I mean, these are things that she didn't trust about me. Even though I had done nothing to show her that I, well, I shouldn't say nothing, she interpreted <laughs> many things that I was doing as something that she found that might not be trustworthy about me. And in the end, it wasn't a matter of me not doing something or me being dishonest. It was a matter of her interpreting that, hey, when a person behaves in this certain way, they are dishonest and they're about to, as she puts it, throw a brick at me. So she 
over the years has gotten used to being treated in a certain way, people acting in a certain way, and then showing up differently, showing up in a betraying manner. So she was not able to trust me for quite a period of time until I continued to reinforce that I am safe, that I am not going to uh, show up in any other way except the, the way I am. And that was a challenge. <laughs> there were times that I wanted to just go off because I knew she was wrong. But I also had to draw the line. I, I really had to stand up uh, one or two times, maybe more, where I felt that she was just plain wrong and she was crossing my line. You know, there's only so much leverage you can give someone before they finally uh, push you over the edge. And that's what I felt. One day, she was pushing me over the, over the edge. I felt disrespected. I felt like she didn't care what I thought. She wasn't listening. And I just said, all right, that's enough. You need to back off. What you're saying is untrue, and I feel very disrespected right now. And I just took a stand. And now, I didn't know what was going to happen when I took that stand. But I was pushed over the edge. I, I felt like I couldn't be this caring, receptive, safe person for her anymore because now I felt like I was getting beat up, emotionally at least. And she stopped talking, and I said my piece. And when you do this, if you have to do this, always be what Caesar Milan calls, he's the dog whisperer, I don't know if you know him, but I've learned a lot from him on dogs, but also with people. Because he says, always show a calm, assertive energy. I just love those two terms together. If you need to honor yourself, show a calm, assertive energy that this is unacceptable. I will not have this in my life. This is what I need to do to tell you to back off because there's a line and you've crossed it. As I even state this now, I am calm, but I am assertive. I will not allow this to happen. I'm not jumping into freak out mode. Like, why are you saying this? I don't like this at all. I'm not jumping into that because now I'm all in my emotions. And if I really know what I want for myself, then there's no reason I can't put on this calm assertive energy, which is why it's so important for you to know yourself well enough to know what your boundaries are, to know where you stand and where you draw the line and at what point you're going to speak up stand up and say your piece, you know, stand up for yourself, but always do it with calm assertion. If you do it with anything else, you run the risk that something is going to explode. I mean, something may explode anyway. It may turn into a fight. Who knows? But the idea is just to know yourself well and be okay with honoring yourself with that calm assertion. Now, what will happen is likely the opposite of what you think will happen. What I thought would happen when I did that is it, she would either get madder <laughs> or she would start crying or she would yell or I thought something else would happen. But she saw the stern approach that I took and how calm I was about it and she respected that in me. She was actually able to respect me for being that way instead of doing the quote freak out. I was able to reach a place of respectability by being calm and assertive. 
this is important. This is what I want for me. You are crossing the line. This is where it ends. It has to stop here. You cannot disrespect me anymore. You cannot say these things anymore. She respected that. And later on, she said, you know what? Uh, when we were talking about this, that's probably the best thing you could have done. By you standing up for yourself and telling me to back off was probably the best thing you could have done because I would rather have someone stand up for themselves and uh, not have to have me plow them over. I want to know that I'm with someone that I can't just plow over, that I can't just knock over. And I was like, what do you mean? And we talked about it some more and I, I came to the realization that when I backed down, when I allowed her to be dominant and pummel me, that it actually showed uh, her that I might be weak. I'm kind of putting words in her mouth here, uh, but I'm assessing it as I think about it now, is that if she saw that as a weakness in me, maybe she couldn't trust me fully to be there if she had a breakdown or if she needed me in some way, shape, or form. Imagine that. Imagine that she sees a strength in me because I stood up for myself. And I think that's important. So when you're thinking about being the coach slash partner to your partner, to your spouse, to your girlfriend or boyfriend, I say be as receptive and caring and unjudgmental and unconditionally loving as possible until they cross the line. You know when they cross the line because you've learned enough about yourself and know what you want for yourself and know what is acceptable and is not acceptable for yourself. If you don't know that, you need to know that. You need to know what's right for you so that when you're in these situations, you can stand up for what you know to be true. And you might have to stand up against someone you love because they're crossing the line. And it may not always work out the way it worked out for me. But I take these chances that they might be mad at me, my girlfriend might be mad at me, might leave me because I'm standing up for myself. I take that chance because it's right for me, because it's in my, it's in integrity for me. And there's only so far I want to be pushed before I become unhappy. And I don't want to be in a relationship where I'm, where I'm unhappy. And if I'm with someone who is not supporting the person I want to be, then I probably don't want to be with that person. So when I stood up for myself, that's the person I want to be. That's the person I want to maintain and continue to be. And when she backed down and realized, wow, that's who he is. And he is standing up for that person. She realized, again, I'm putting words in her mouth. She realized that might be a strength in me or something that she can look at and go, that I know to be true about you. That is authentic. That is genuine. Instead of me backing down going, oh, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm so sorry. Or I'll try better next time where she may have seen that as a weakness in me. Like, how can I rely on this guy if his knees buckle or he just breaks down every time I have a, my own freak out or my own fit or whatever's happening in me, my own triggers. And so again, I repeat, you balance by being the most loving, caring, nurturing, supportive, unconditional person, uh, giving them the safe zone to express themselves, even if they're saying things about you that you don't like. But when the line is crossed and, you know, you try to make that line so it's not easy to cross, 
I mean, I hope that she doesn't cross the line every time and then it turns into just you asserting yourself every time. You do have to take extra steps. If you are with someone who's been in trauma, you do have to take some extra steps to be a little bit more than you normally would if you were with someone who didn't have the sensitivities, uh, the emotional triggers from their past. So the balance point, the line is drawn by you knowing yourself well enough and being confident that you want to be the person you are without losing yourself. And when she does cross that line, then it might be time to stand up. But it isn't, you know, this may not be a popular opinion. It isn't always you backing off, backing off, backing off. There's going to be a point where you just fall off the cliff. So no matter how much trauma and abuse and, you know, everything that was definitely not deserved uh, is in her past, there's a point where if she's crossing your lines and your boundaries, that you make it clear in a calm, assertive way. So I think I've emphasized that enough. And let me just say one more thing. When, when you have someone who has these very sensitive emotional triggers, um, what some people might call highly sensitive people, they are often, I don't want to say always, but they are often looking for strength, trust, safety, uh, caring, nurturing. They're often looking for um, non-volatile people. You know, volatile means uh, you could go off at any minute. You, you have a quick temper or you jump to conclusions really fast. If they are with a volatile person, then they'll always feel unsafe and they'll always be super sensitive. So again, you do have to be sometimes a very special person that has a calm temperament that is more resilient than your average Joe. <laughs> so that's what I have for you, Rick. I hope this helps you. I hope this gives you uh, what you need going forward. I mean, you're in a predicament. You're, you're with someone who is probably very sensitive and, uh, one of the biggest things that I had to learn when I was married is that I can't take anything she says uh, very personally uh, because it's not usually about me, even though I'm the one who triggered it, even though I'm the one doing the behavior that she finds unacceptable. The energy behind that anger is it typically originated a long time ago, but it still doesn't excuse your behavior if you're being a little over the top, overly dramatic jumping to conclusions kind of guy or overreactionary. But I, uh, from your letter, it sounds like that maybe you're not that type of guy. You probably are pretty even-tempered and are doing your best. And it sounds like you are. It sounds like you're doing everything you can to be there for her. But uh, maybe that, um, uh, shall I say, more masculine element of that calm assertion when you need to protect yourself, when you need to honor yourself, needs to step in every now and then. Again, I can't promise you the results that uh, I got all the time, but uh, I will say that if you feel like you are being compromised and you are getting unhappier and unhappier, then you're better off just honoring yourself and taking a stand for you because eventually, like I said, you'll get pushed so far back that you'll just fall off the cliff. Thanks again, Rick. Thanks for writing. And uh, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be right back. And I'll say some thank yous and uh, talk about something right before we close the show right after this.
Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank a couple people. First of all, Veronica. Thank you so much for your donation. That was very generous. I appreciate you. Uh, we've connected a few times, and um, it was a, a nice surprise to see that. Again, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I also want to thank Amazon reviewer George Varcoli, I think is how you say it. And I, he reviewed the book, The Overwhelmed Brain. I just got to read this because I love it. <laughs> he says, Paul Coliani is without a doubt the best podcaster for personal growth coaching, bar none. He goes, I've listened to tons of others. Nobody compares to Paul. His style and stories are so relatable. He has a delivery that is down to earth and comes across as real and sincere. I have listened to every one of his podcasts and his book, The Overwhelmed Brain, is like a Bible to me. He says, buy the book, download the podcast, prepare to transform your life forever. <laughs> Thank you, George. That was unexpected and I swear I did not pay for that review. <laughs> I appreciate you, George. Thank you so much for that uh, over-the-top review. Uh, that makes me feel good. Maybe a little bit of ego boost there. And speaking of the book, I want you to check it out. Go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It's called The Overwhelmed Brain, Personal Growth for Critical Thinkers. Give you one guess where I got that name. <laughs> Actually, the publisher said, let's keep that name. I was like, are you sure? We don't want a different tagline? Like, emotional intelligence for uh, the masses or something. And they're like, no, 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 no. Let's keep that name. That's pretty good. So I was like, all right, we'll keep the name. So that's what we did. I hope you can um, check it out yourself. It is the A to Z of self-empowerment. I'd love for you to have that with you everywhere you go, with your highlighters, with your pencil, uh, or on your Kindle, your ebook reader. Check it out. And I want to thank Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com. You can reach her at 678-355-8777. If you're in the U.S. or Canada and have anything going on where you feel like it's a mess and I want to get out of it, like she knows someone that uh, is going through some sort of issue with a violation of a contract or something like that, and they're just into all these headaches and refuse to call an attorney and want to deal with it themselves. And it's been months. And she's like, why don't you get this service? It's so inexpensive and you could probably have it resolved in a week. They're like, no, I just want to do it in my own way myself. And she's like, all right, well. <laughs> so if you're in any kind of mess, give her a call. 678-355-8777 or go to getoutofthemess.com. And I want to thank the patron members. The TOB patron program is where you can give back to the show and you can get private episodes and worksheets and even email coaching. And I just had someone write to me and said, what is this email coaching thing? What do you do? I said, well, you write to me, you vent, you tell me your problems, your challenges, and then I write back and I address everything that you write about. And then you take the time to introspect, reflect, and write back again or just uh, take that information and hopefully change your life in a, a positive way. It's a great alternative if you don't uh, have the budget for one-on-one -on -one coaching. And it may just give you the insights you need to create the life you want. Anyway, if you're interested in the patron program, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and check it out. And whether you're a patron or not, I want to thank you if you've purchased that book that I was talking about, The Overwhelmed Brain. Or if you've purchased any worksheets or especially if you've used the Amazon link. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and use the Amazon link every time you shop, and that helps support the show. And I know there are quite a few of you that are doing it, but if you haven't done it yet, why not? Check it out. It's an easy way to give back. 
and you don't have to do anything special. You just click on the link. It takes you to Amazon and you can buy anything you want. And we definitely appreciate it here. Thank you so much. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on that Amazon link every time you shop. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And in closing, I'm going to read something that I just got. This is rare that I'll read something the day or the day after that I received it. I'm usually like a month behind. But this came in and I read it and I'll just read it to you and I'll comment on it a moment. This is from um, a gentleman named Tom. He said, your podcast is the first I have ever donated to. That's right, Tom. Thank you for your donation, by the way. Very kind of you. Very generous. Thank you, sir. And he followed it up with this email. He said, even though I've only been listening to it for two days, I've already found help from your words. Your episode, Relationship, Love, Acceptance, Leave or Stay, really woke me up, as that is exactly what I'm going through this past year and a half. So if you don't mind, here's my story. Two years ago, my mom died. She had a heart attack and dealt with the debilitating disease ALS. I lived with her and my stepdad through most of her experiences with ALS, and it really had a negative effect on me. For the longest time, I was having PTSD experiences of what she had to go through every day just to get by. Before she died, I decided to do something that I've wanted to do for a while, which is move across the country to Portland, Oregon. I felt extremely guilty and sad to be leaving my mom, but I knew I needed this change. The day I left, I was driving in Pennsylvania when I got a call from my brother. My mom suffered a heart attack, and she was unconscious. My stepdad made the choice to take her off life support, because that was her will if it ever came to this. I was devastated. I broke down in a screaming fit of tears. I drove back that same day, entered the house, and walked into her empty bedroom. The bed she once spent all her days on was just that, a bed. I had no words. My body just felt numb. I was now overwhelmed with the decision of what to do next. I had a job waiting for me in Portland. I am fortunate to be surrounded by an amazing network of family and friends, And that really helped me make the decision that I still needed to make this change in my life. I mourned for a month, and then I made the trek cross-country by myself. But during that month, I met a girl that really helped me through it. She knew I was leaving, but still spent a lot of time with me. She was awesome. When I left, we still kept in touch a lot over phone calls and text messaging. We were both committed to being with each other. And three to four months later, she made the choice to move cross-country to be with me and experience a new life. We immediately moved in together, but reality struck. As soon as we came face to face, I felt like I didn't want this. Like I was living a fantasy, but the reality is that I was still grieving and I had to move out of Portland to find a place to live with her. So already I was leaving the place I came so far for. I related to this podcast episode very well because I was very judgmental and criticizing and complained a lot. I was very unreasonable and unaccepting of even the silliest of behaviors. What was I thinking? I love this girl. Fast forward two years and she ended things. I promised change, but it never really happened or it barely happened. I really did love her and we connected on a lot of levels. Now that she is gone, I feel like crap and I would love her to be back in my life. Am I just fooling myself? I feel like I need to focus on myself now more than ever. But I miss the connections of a loved one. I still miss her. She has definitely moved on, but I am still grasping at straws for her attention, and it's crazy. So, after listening to this podcast, I realized how I wasn't accepting enough, and I pushed her away a lot. Like I wanted it my way, 
always. What an insane way to think. <laughs> Especially when you're trying to build a relationship. I need to change my beliefs. Thank you for your podcast. It is helping me a lot. Then he writes, uh, Phew, that felt good just to write about. <laughs> Sincerely, Tom. You can use my real name if this is considered for your podcast. And Tom, yes, I used your real name. So I hope uh, all those details <laughs> in your email were okay. Uh, because that's how I read it. Uh, word for word. Now, I wanted to read this on this episode, even though I got this a couple days ago, for uh, one major reason. And that was because I related to it all too well. In fact, uh, I lived in Portland, Oregon. And I thought about you know, visiting my mom and she's getting older and I'm wondering if she's, you know, near that age where I should start seeing her more before she passes on. And I have all these thoughts. And I was also with a girl that eventually left me for all the things that you wrote about there as well. I related to this so much that I actually teared up when I read the part where you walked into your mom's bedroom and just saw the bed. I'm thinking someday I'm going to do that. And it's, it's going to be painful Thinking about it now, it's painful to think that, geez, you know, how often do I visit her? Is it often enough? How often do I talk to her? Is it often enough? And I'm sure that um, even if I saw her every day, I would think it's still not enough. Because you just don't want some people to leave. Some people are very important to your life and um, you just want them to be around all the time. But we know that's not what happens. It didn't happen with your mom and you had a girlfriend that also left. So all these people that leave us in one way or another, it really hurts. And um, your story, like I said, I relate to it very much. I want to thank you for sharing that. I want to thank you for donating to the show. That was uh, for you to give back like that because it brought value into your life. I'm I'm very touched. Thank you, Tom. And uh, I know there are things that we could probably address uh, in your letter right here. For example, grasping at straws, still wanting her back. I think there's an episode on the acceptance of loss that I just did recently that you may want to look at. Check out some of my more recent episodes because I want you to move on from this. Because yes, there's a chance that an ex could come back into your life. Absolutely. There's always that chance. But you can either sit around waiting for that chance or you could move on and be happily surprised if it ever happens. Or not happily surprised. Because what happens is once you accept that your girlfriend is never coming back and you give yourself the, the uh, motivation to move on, then if she does come back, guess who's going to be a slightly different, slightly more healed person? Yes, you. <laughs> you're going to be more healed. You don't want someone back when you're not healed yet. If they left and you're still in that kind of pain and you're still uh, healing from some of the stuff that you brought into that relationship, you're going to have to work on that for a while, which means the acceptance of what is, she's no longer there, she's not coming back, and moving on, whether you get into another relationship or not, and if she does come back after that, you're going to be a different person. Because the person you were couldn't, and I hate to say this, couldn't sustain the relationship. The person you were couldn't sustain the relationship. So the person you become by the acceptance and moving on and knowing you have growing and learning and healing to do will be the new person that goes into the next relationship, whether it's with her or not. So that's what I'm going to leave you with. That 
one little suggestion, one little tidbit that I hope helps you. And the best way I can tell you to get to that point is not only keep listening to this show, but also keep your mind open. This will allow you to step into your power and also be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve, even through the hard stuff. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.